You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Abby. Today we're going to talk about sports, but first let's catch up on life lately. Sarah, what's been happening with you? So in the last episode, I was talking about home ownership and how I was feeling some of the stresses that come with that. Mm -hmm. But times have changed in the last week and a half. Oh, good. And now I'm really excited about the house projects. Because the thing I forgot when we were talking last time is how incredibly satisfying it is when one of your projects is completed. Mm, So true. So the installation is done now and with it some attic projects that had to happen like reventing our hot water heater and furnace. Mm -hmm. And even that, which isn't the most fun house project we could be doing, felt great to cross off the list and not have hanging over our heads. And then as we are talking right now, Neil is knocking some holes in our wall. Oh, wow. So we have decided to open up the wall between our living area and our kitchen. Oh, yay. And we're not opening it all the way because it is a load-bearing wall, and that would require some expertise and tools that we don't have. Mm -hmm. But we are going to create a pass-through. Cool. And I'm excited to have more natural light in our kitchen and... Just have it not be so weird because our kitchen, you've seen it. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be an eat-in kitchen, which I think is really strange because our eating area is right outside of the kitchen. Yeah. So half the kitchen has no cabinets or counters. It's just empty. Right. We have a giant chalkboard there for the kids now. But I think that having that pass through and then eventually we'll put some cabinets underneath it and counter will mm-hmm. make the kitchen look more complete and less odd. And make it more usable probably, right? I think so. On the one hand, we're doing just fine with the counter space that we have, Mm -hmm. but we could definitely use with more storage that we don't have very much pantry space. Like today I did a huge grocery run and kind of sliding cans into spaces and random cabinets as opposed to having one spot where they can all go. Yeah, I've been there. What's been going on with you? A few things. The first was... (laughs) that I was really glad that we were renting last night because our kitchen sink was totally backed up Mm -hmm. and I started plunging it and then water started coming out from under our washer because turns out that those go to the same sewer. They're on the same line, so they go to the same drain. And I was really thankful to call the landlord and for him to pay for the plumber on a Friday night. Yes. It turned into a way bigger project too because apparently the house is plumbed kind of weird because they tried to go down through the vent on the roof because Mm -hmm. that should go straight to the drain. But the snake came out underneath the kitchen sink and moved a pipe and water started spewing out of that cabinet, (laughs) that under sink cabinet, Uh as they were on the roof doing it. I mean, some good things came out of that. I had never cleaned that under sink cabinet before, so now it's very clean since it was filled with water. And now the clog is fixed. Also, it was probably the dog's fault mm. because of all her fur, at least in part, because the plumber said the first clump of stuff that he pulled out was definitely fur. How would that have gotten in your kitchen sink, though? It may have come from the washer. Oh, you know, we have yes. fur on our clothes okay. all the time because our dog is so furry. That makes more and sense. And it may have just built up over the two years that we've lived there. But also, we've never had that problem in another house before, and we've lived... Like in our house in Nashville, we live there much longer and we never had her fur cause a problem. So anyway, I was really thankful that we were renting. I hear you, especially on, as you said, on a Friday night to not have to deal with it. Absolutely. And the other really exciting thing is that my best friend from high school had a baby this week. Yay. Congratulations. And she actually had her baby boy on Andrew's birthday. 
So that's something really special. And I think I'm going to take a trip up there next week. They live in D.C., so I'm going to go visit with them and meet young Sir. Let's move on to talk about what we've been reading. What have you been reading, Sarah? So I have read two crime fiction books, both by Tana French. And we actually had a listener email in a recommendation to read The Trespasser by Tana French. And you pointed out that our friend Katie, that was the second cover she did in her By the Cover project, was for another of Tana French's books Mm -hmm. called The Likeness. So I went ahead and read both of them. And I have to preface this all with that crime fiction is not my normal genre. So Mm -hmm. anything I have to say about it for people who love the genre, take it with a grain of salt. (laughs) So both books were really compelling in that when I started reading them, I wanted to solve the mystery. Mm Mm-hmm. They were both really well written and had great character development, but I found in both books that it was really hard for me to relate to the main character, that they Mm -hmm. had certain personality traits and made certain choices that I would not have made. Mm -hmm. It was very consistent the whole way through, which was great, but I just kept thinking I would be doing that differently (laughs) as I was reading the book. (laughs) So I found that a little bit frustrating as I read them. I really liked that There was so much more to what was happening than you realized at the beginning that Mm -hmm. as you keep going, it gets so much more intriguing as these little bits of information come at you. It's also set in Ireland. The detectives are part of the murder squad in Dublin. Oh, okay. And that makes it fun just to have it be in a different setting. Mm -hmm. I think in the future, I would like to read these when I'm traveling or on a plane. They seem like great books for that. Yeah, it's nice to have a book that you want to keep turning the pages. So... I think that I would read her books in the future. But for me, I felt like the reason I wanted to keep turning the pages was solving the mystery. Mm-hmm. And that with other books, I feel like more engaged with the story as it goes along. Where with this one, I just kept thinking, OK, what's the answer? What's the answer? What's the answer? I want to know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Have you read crime fiction? I mean, not too much. The most recent one that I read was part of, I think it's called a Inspector Gamache series. And it's, okay. it's a similar thing where they're in um, Montreal. Mm -hmm. or actually this other small town in Canada. So it was like a cool setting. It's not my favorite. I enjoyed the one that I read, but I didn't feel like I wanted to go out and read others. Though I guess Farthing is kind of crime fiction, and Mm -hmm. I already picked up the second one, and I'm excited about reading it. But something about Joe Walton's writing and how she sort of alternates chapters, so one from the point of view of one of the characters who's involved in the murder story Mm -hmm. and then one from the point of view of the inspector. I really like that. Okay. I wouldn't say that it's a favorite genre. I definitely don't want to read it all the time. I can't really say because I don't read crime fiction all the time, but it felt really well done to me Hmm. in that, you know, it wasn't obvious because there was so much information you just didn't have at the beginning. Yeah. I was intrigued by the twist and turns and I thought it was well written and had good character development. But I do think that I would reserve it in the future for travel, as I think that's when I like to read this kind of book. I think there are people who read crime fiction or mystery novels like that Mm -hmm. and who really try and solve it Mm -hmm. before the end. Like that's part of the fun for them. But I'm really terrible at, at solving it before they tell me the answer. Like, I'm almost always surprised when I'm reading crime fiction. Same. In this one, I feel like there's so much information you just don't have that I don't know that it would be possible as you go through. Hmm. Until it's being revealed, there's lots of stuff that is just, you had no idea. Hmm. And that's one thing I really loved in The Trespasser is the victim. Her whole story is very different than what you think it is at the beginning. Hmm. And it was really intriguing thinking about human 
relationships and how we influence each other and how much control and power certain people have over other people in their lives. And Mm. her response was very extreme, but fascinating. So I love that part of the storyline. Yeah, that sounds cool. Thanks to Celeste for giving me that recommendation. And if other listeners have more recommendations for us. Yeah, we would love to hear them. Yes. I love reading things that I don't normally read and trying out different stuff. Mm hmm. So I just finished this week this book called On Living by Carrie Egan. And this is a book that I started reading a long time ago. So I was reading it in January on my phone. And it was the book that showed me that I really hate reading books on my phone. I got it on my (laughs) phone originally because the library here didn't have a hard copy of it. There was the only way to get it was in ebook format. And I don't have an e-reader. And I was just annoyed with it. So I said, okay, I'm just going to put myself on the list for the hard copy because by that time they had ordered it. I think enough people wanted it. So it came up and I read it and it's a short book. So Carrie Egan is a hospice chaplain. And so the book is stories that people have told her. So either people who themselves are dying or the friends and relatives of people who are dying. And then it's interspersed with her personal story. So sort of life lessons that she's learned and parallels that she's seen in the work that she's done and with her own trauma and challenges. And it's a short book, like I said. It reads really quickly, and her writing is beautiful. I found it really poignant. Many parts of it um, were very inspiring, too. So highly recommend it. Yeah, it sounds like a good one. I just put it on hold while we were talking. So (laughs) perfect. Okay, I think we're going to move along and talk about sports. Let's start by talking about sports we played and watched growing up. In elementary school, the main sport I did was gymnastics. I started in second grade, and I did it through the end of seventh grade. I was fairly terrible. I had very little natural talent, but (laughs) it was really fun, and I enjoyed it. And then In seventh grade, I switched to a new gym and it was much more intense than the one that I was in before, Mm -hmm. which is what I wanted because I wanted to be taking it seriously. Mm -hmm. But I think that was the beginning of the end for me Mm. is when I made that transition. I really felt there was a culture of pushing through injuries and Mm. ignoring pain and this idea that if you were to admit that you were hurt, that you were seen as weak. Mm. And looking back on it, I don't know how much of that was a story I told myself in my head versus something that was actually present. But I was having back pain my last year. I didn't tell my parents because my parents are reasonable, rational human beings who would have immediately told me to stop. Mm -hmm. And then I went to a camp that summer And it was bad while I was there. And I remember doing a backbend while I was there just in warmups. And I remember saying to myself, this is the last time I will ever do this. Oh, my gosh. It was. So we had one more session and I just said I didn't feel good and didn't participate in it. And I came home and I remember being nervous telling my mom that I wanted to quit Mm -hmm. because she had just spent a lot of money for me to go to this camp. Mm -hmm. And invested a lot in me doing it up to that point. When I told her, she said, okay, sounds great. I would just say that things were getting more intense there and she was happy for us to bow out at that point. Why did you start gymnastics originally, Sarah? I just wanted to because it seemed fun. I mean, I was in second grade. So what is that? Eight years old? Yeah. 
think I just heard about it and thought it would be fun to do. And I did enjoy it. I had good friends. I had a good experience most of the way through. But because I had such a bad experience at the end, I am really wary of letting my kids do that. Mm -hmm. I was in amazing shape when I did gymnastics. We did so many push-ups and pull-ups and conditioning things and core work. And I think it's really great for flexibility. And there are a lot of positive things about it. But I also experienced a less happy side of it, Mm -hmm. I would say. What about you in elementary school? So when I was really little, so probably even before elementary school, I played t-ball. Okay. And I was one of the only girls Mm -hmm. on a team with a bunch of boys. And I just remember not being very good and not having very much fun. And so that wasn't a great experience. And then I also went on to play softball later. So I think that was more like fourth, fifth, sixth grade where I was playing on a city team. And then I was playing with other girls, and I think that was better. I had a really good friend, but I think I was still never very good. (laughs) And then the other sport that I did was synchronized swimming. Oh, I've forgotten this. I couldn't remember how it even started, really. But I did sort of like the JV team at our YWCA. So we didn't do competitions, okay? but we did train a good amount. And I remember being in the pool a lot and knowing the names of all the things and practicing them and have having the nose plugs and the swim cap and everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether I wasn't doing the competition because I wasn't good enough or because my parents had com- hadn't committed to that level of practice. Mm-hmm. So that's not super clear to me. But I remember feeling really proud of things in synchronized swimming, like Mm -hmm. proud when I got a move or proud that I could hold my breath for that long. And then the other thing that I did that wasn't a sport but was athletic was ballet. Okay. And I did ballet probably starting in second or third grade. And I danced in a more intense way through ninth grade. And at that point, I, I stepped back from it. Yeah. But I was never great at that either. I think that that was really good exercise. Like you're saying about gymnastics, Mm -hmm. I was in good shape. It was good for me in terms of like having designated time every week that I had to move my body. But I mean, I was always tall and always kind of curvy, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of from middle school on. And that's not really dancer material. Did you experience any of the darker side of what I did in gymnastics and dance in terms of body image or pressure related to injuries or anything? No, I think I didn't because the school that I was in was not a very intense school. Mm -hmm. You know, we weren't sort of like filtering into performing arts high schools and stuff. It was really just like a smallish ballet school in our suburb. Mm -hmm. And I think I got a decent foundation for ballet. Like I can go into ballet classes like I took ballet in college and stuff and, you know, had fine technique based on those early years. But I think that we didn't experience a whole lot of that because None of us were really destined for, you know, higher level ballet. Right. Because I think if I had stayed at the other gym, I wouldn't have experienced it. But it's when I made the switch that I did. Yeah. It's so based on the environment. Yeah, it seems probably in other things, too. I mean, synchronized swimming was positive and I didn't experience body image stuff, Mm -hmm. even though I think that that's a time when you definitely can, you know, sort of fourth, fifth, sixth grade. That's prime body image time. Yeah. But I think because I was not competing, there wasn't this whole thing of like, your costume doesn't fit or your body looks different than everyone else's or anything like that. Right. Reflecting back on it for this specifically, I'm thankful 
for the experience that I had in sports. I'm thankful that it wasn't too intense, but that I still, like I said, got to move my body. And even though I wasn't that great at things, could tell that I could do them. Mm -hmm. If I sort of worked on it, I could see improvement, that kind of thing. I think that was valuable. I loved participating in sports growing up. I did not excel in any sport that I did, but I learned a lot about hard work and commitment and found it so valuable. The worst experience I had was with gymnastics. Looking back, being in seventh grade, I think a lot of it was in my head. Those are just really rough years emotionally. Like, I think I was interpreting judgment from people. It definitely wasn't from the coaches. I think it was this idea of what are the other girls going to think Mm. if I do this and wanting to maintain a certain image of being a hardworking, dedicated gymnast. Who doesn't get injured. Right. Or who isn't weak. Who isn't weak. Oh, no, Sarah. Looking back, I wonder how much was just all in my head being 13 as opposed to anything real in the environment. It also could have been the other gymnasts. Mm -hmm. You know, even if you're not getting it from the coaches, I feel like kids that age can tend toward viciousness. So yeah, you might have been getting it from them. I remember getting to the point where I just thought this isn't fun anymore. And that why am I doing it? Mm -hmm. And I stopped. The other sport I did, which was a very different experience, was swim team growing up. So we did swim lessons every summer. And then starting, not sure how old I was, maybe eight I started doing the actual swim team where they had competitions once a week in the summers with the other swim clubs around town. And that was very low pressure, very just fun and a whole like big family event to do it. And Mm -hmm. that was the only non-negotiable related to athletics was that we had to do swim lessons. Interesting. And I'm really glad because I think that it's one of those things that you really do need to practice to get good at, to reach a certain level of proficiency. And then doing the swim team was just fun. I didn't do it all year round or do big competitions. I just did the little local summer clubs. And what about high school? So after I quit gymnastics in eighth grade, I did volleyball, a city league. And then in ninth grade, I joined the swim team at the high school, mm-hmm. which was amazing. Just a wonderful coach exactly as a coach should be with really pushing each individual. But the focus was on doing your best Mm. and being the best that you could be. And he had such high standards, but in the best kind of way. And I got into amazing shape doing that because we had two hour practices five days a week. Plus we lifted weights after every practice. Mm -hmm. And the whole two hours you're swimming. I mean, I was probably in the best shape of my life when I was doing swim team. It was also great because our high school was grades 10 through 12, Mm -hmm. and freshmen were in a junior high school that was 8 and 9. Okay. So if you were participating in the sports, you started as a freshman still, and it lets you get to know a lot of the upperclassmen before you then went to high school. Oh, that's cool. It was nice. Going into sophomore year, I knew more people than I would have otherwise because I had done swim team. And then... I switched to diving. So the next summer I started diving and was debating whether I was going to do swimming or diving with the team the next year. And I ended up doing diving for sophomore, junior, senior year. That was really fun. It was the same thing as gymnastics. I wasn't amazing at it, but really liked to work hard at it and learn new things and really loved the coach and the other girls on the team. And then I still got to hang out with all the swimmers, too, because we all went to meets together. And so all the people I had gotten to know the year before I was still part of the same team so fun and then the final one that I did was I did cross country my senior year that I just decided 
to do something different. I thought I'm going to try out or not even try out. You can just join the cross country team. They accept all. <laughs> I just joined the cross country team. Yes, it was. And that was really fun. I had a great time. It was so fun my senior year to meet different people. Our high school was really large. We were the largest high school in the state. Mm-hmm. And getting to be a part of the cross country team let me meet new people even my last year of high school. So I didn't play sports in high school, but I did do marching band all four years of high school. Mm-hmm. I started playing the French horn in middle school. And then in high school, if you wanted to play the French horn in band, you marched also. So everyone had to march during the fall semester. Mm-hmm. Going to high school in Texas, everything revolves around football. Mm-hmm. It's huge. So in addition to doing marching band, I also obviously watched all the football games. And that's the time when I really started to Number one, understand football, Mm -hmm. but also really like to watch it. And I don't know if I liked it at first or they wore me down (laughs) over the four (laughs) years that I was watching. But football is still one of my favorite sports to watch. I just really enjoyed it. Plus, my high school's football team was really good. My freshman year, we won the state tournament in our division. So that meant that we did marching band all the way to like December 12th. Mm -hmm. What we did for high school marching band was the two weeks before school started, so end of July and August in Texas, was we had two-a-days marching band practice. So we would go out really early, like 6.30 or 7, before it got too hot, and have a two-hour marching practice. Then we would go inside and practice music. Then when it got cooler later in the day, we would go back outside and march some more from like 4 to 6 or something. I don't think I've ever sweat so much in my life carrying a heavy brass instrument and marching around and standing for hours in the heat is a really good way to get in shape. (laughs) So let's talk about sports in college. Sarah, when you were choosing colleges and thinking about going to college, were you planning to do sports? I wasn't sure. I met with the diving coach at Hendricks when I was visiting Mm -hmm. and watched a practice. I might have even done a practice with them. But at that point, I wasn't sure that I wanted to do it. I knew that college sports were going to be a huge commitment. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure that I wanted to dedicate that much time to it. And with diving in particular, you have to do three meter when you go to college. Mm. And I was very uninterested in doing that. Mm. That was not fun for me. And I had done it in the summers somewhat, but I found it really terrifying and not fun. So the fact that that was going to be a large part of the college diving experience pushed me toward not doing it. Mm -hmm. So I would say going in, I was planning not to do sports and just see what came up. How about you? Yeah, I had no ideas about doing sports, mostly because I wasn't playing them Mm -hmm. and because Hendrix at that point didn't have a football team, Mm -hmm. there was no marching band. I think there was sometimes like a small pep band that would go to basketball games and just sit in the stands, but there was no marching. And that was something at the time that was really appealing to me, Mm -hmm. that I was really excited to be able to do band and not have to march. Do they have a marching band now or not? I don't know if they march now. So then, Sarah, what happened when you got there? So then I ended up joining the Ultimate Team that first semester I think we talked about this in the our first episode about college, but I'm pretty sure a lot of it was that they needed girls for a co-ed tournament and mm-hmm. it was in my hometown. Yes, that's right. Somehow I got invited onto the team and just kept playing from then on. And I really loved being able to be athletic. I've always loved doing different sports as evidenced by my, my history in high school, mm-hmm. enjoyed dabbling in a variety of things. And 
I loved being part of a community of a sports team. And so once I started, I just kept doing it. Yeah. And the community is the reason really that I joined eventually. It was sort of, you know, because I was friends with you and other people Mm -hmm. who were playing. I was watching Ultimate a medium amount, probably. Like when you guys were playing locally, I would come and watch some. And I was hanging out with the Ultimate team a lot. And so it was sort of like, why don't I just go ahead and join? Mm -hmm. I think I mentioned this before, too. But I started playing in Dallas the summer between freshman and sophomore year and then came back Mm -hmm. thinking that I was going to play Ultimate. And I never really anticipated being part of a team like that. I think because I haven't really been part of a team like that, you know, up until that point. And even things like softball and t-ball, I mean, that was like my parents signing me up for it. You know, I'm sure I wasn't coerced, but it didn't feel like I had a lot of sort of agency in that choice. Right. So joining Ultimate is really like the first sports-based decision that I made all on my own, all for myself. Mm -hmm. I was a decent Ultimate player. I think I had strengths and weaknesses, but there were parts of Ultimate that made me feel really proud. And I don't remember feeling that sort of satisfied with myself and my physical body and athleticism before playing ultimate in college. I think marching band, I did it and it was good, but the sort of level of intensity of physical activity that ultimate requires of you and being able to do it and feeling like sometimes I did a good job, I think that was one of my favorite things about it. So we graduated and then what have you been doing sports related since college, Sarah? I played Ultimate a little bit when I went to grad school, but that's when I tore my ACL that first semester, Mm -hmm. and I haven't played since then. I enjoy it, but not so much that I'm willing to risk a second ACL tear, and Ultimate is hard on your body. It is. I was pretty devastated when it happened. I remember. Especially because, to me, it was a great way to meet people at grad school, Yeah, and I felt like that avenue was closing, and... Grad school is different than college in that it's more everybody's just adults living on their own places and having a few classes together. Yeah. And so I was really sad to have that social outlet taken away. Mm-hmm. So I went into graduate school thinking that I was done playing Ultimate, like not really that excited about it and thinking I'm not going to have time mm-hmm. to commit to this because traveling with an ultimate team, which is what you have to do if you're playing ultimate, it's a commitment. There's not games in town that often. So you're committing to be gone yes. multiple weekends in a semester. And financially. Absolutely. It's a pretty big commitment. Yeah, because the ultimate team very rarely has tons of money. I was thinking, I'm not going to have time for this. This is not something that I'm excited about. But I got to grad school and I've talked about this before that I had a really hard time. And ultimate was something that I knew that I could meet people, Mm -hmm. that I knew that I could find a community, and that I knew that I had things to offer them. It was like, I know that I can throw the disc. I know that I understand at least basic ultimate strategy. Mm -hmm. And so I went out to ultimate at Vanderbilt because it was somewhere where I knew that I would feel competent. And I felt really not competent in other areas of my life. And I think I even showed up to like a pickup game with the Vandy women's team. And I was like, oh, I'm not playing. I'm just a grad student. I'm not playing. Mm -hmm. But eventually they wore me down. And it was a really sweet group of women. I think that the Vanderbilt women's team hadn't started that long before. So it was really similar to playing for Hendricks, Mm -hmm. though they got much better, much faster because they had had coaches and maybe a bigger student body to draw on. And that's one thing I did love about Ultimate in college is 
everyone was welcome. We're playing at the college level for most sports. You have to have a background. You can't just right. decide to play basketball in college, even at <laughs> D3. You can't do that. No. But with Ultimate, there were lots of people who had been athletic in other ways and then wanted to join the Ultimate team. And some people who this was their first sports experience. Mm-hmm. But I loved how open it was. Yeah. And that was true at Vanderbilt, too. And lots of people showed up who hadn't played sports, you know, who, I mean, like me, hadn't done anything since they played softball in sixth grade or something like that. It's a very supportive environment. Yeah. Not that we weren't trying to win, but it felt warm, you know, that Mm -hmm. we were rooting for each other and wanting to help each other succeed. And And come play this sport that we love because we love it and we think that you will, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how Ultimate often feels to me, even now. If you find a summer league or a pickup game, it's more like, let's just come all enjoy this together. Yes. Definitely, you get to higher levels of competition and people have really strong feelings and emotions about it. But I think sort of ultimate as at its core tends to have that warmth and support that you're talking about. Yes. So how ultimate works is that you have five years of eligibility to play on a college team. And so if you're enrolled even as a graduate student, and you still have eligibility in your five consecutive years, then you can play. So when I went to Vanderbilt, I still had two years of eligibility to play college. And that was really awesome because we turned into a pretty strong team. And so we got to play at a medium high level. And we had an awesome coach at Hendricks. We were self-coached, which Mm -hmm. if whoever's coaching you is also your teammate and your roommate. Yeah. Depending on their skill level, you can only go so far competition-wise. Yes. So having a coach was really awesome in that sense. So I played my two years of eligibility, and then I was so excited about the ultimate team that then I coached the Vanderbilt women's team for two years. And then at the same time, I was also playing club ultimate for a Nashville women's team. Mm -hmm. That experience was a mixed experience. It was... In many ways, I was playing with people who are my friends, who I really loved, but I was really challenged by the coach. Mm -hmm. I didn't get the playing time that I thought that I deserved, which, you know, honestly, I'm not sure that I deserved it. But that was really frustrating going in and making the financial commitment and making the commitment of my time and then not feeling like that was reciprocated in playing time. Mm -hmm. And not even necessarily in playing time, but feeling like I could play a role and that I wasn't being invited to do that. I know that I can't do everything on the field, but I can do some things really well. And I didn't even feel like I was getting to do those things. So about the time that I was getting pretty fed up with playing club, I also was starting to get worn out coaching. And I think those things contributed to each other. And I think I also was in the fourth year of my PhD and was kind of realizing I'm actually going to have to work on this if I ever want to (laughs) finish. So then I stopped. And I've played off and on since then, mostly in summer leagues and things like that. And then the other sports situation in my life is football. So Andrew is a huge NFL fan. And like I said, I enjoy watching football. So basically, we have football on at our house every Sunday, the whole fall. And there are lots of things that I really like about following a team and watching a team. But He and I both have been talking about, I think, and thinking about a lot lately, whether football is something that we should really be giving our time to just because of the culture Mm -hmm. that it is. And there are lots of things, violence and materialism 
and class and race issues that come up when you look at the National Football League. Yeah. And so we're still watching football for now, but I'm not sure what that's going to look like in the next few years, especially as Plum gets old enough to realize what's happening. Mm -hmm. I think we want to think pretty carefully about our family values and what we're passing on to her. So we'll see. Let's talk more about how sports look in your family now and what you are thinking Mm -hmm. about your kids and sports. So we don't watch any sports partly just because we don't have a TV so <laughs> or any channels that would allow us to watch sports, and also because the interest isn't really there. Neil would watch things if it were mm-hmm. on, but I think he feels similarly in terms of, is that something he wants to be supporting? I mean, both of us, if we're not going to let our kids play football, then we're asking somebody else's kids to do that if we want to be watching it. Yeah. And so far, we have not had our kids involved in any sports. I would say it's just been in the last couple of years that HP's friends have started doing some sports. For me right now, I so fiercely protect our family's free time. And it has felt too intrusive to add something else to our calendar, Mm -hmm. especially when E had been a baby, that that was just off the table for me trying to wrangle him into an activity in addition to our regular life. Yeah. And I really like having family dinner and our kids go to bed early. It just has felt like there hasn't been time to include that, Mm -hmm. or at least that we have not wanted to make the time. But it's an interesting question because I also see the benefit of him being involved in different things at this age in that he can see what he likes. Mm -hmm. And because we're not watching sports or participating in sports in any way as a family, how can he know if he wants to play soccer or basketball or baseball if he doesn't even know what those things are or that the options are there. Right. And at the age of almost five, I am not concerned about that, mm-hmm. but it is something that I am contemplating. We have enrolled him in swimming lessons. And that's one thing I loved that my parents did. And I want him to become very proficient at swimming. Mm-hmm. And there are very few sporting activities, as in none besides swimming, that I would make him do. But mm-hmm. I do think that doing swim lessons every summer until you reach a certain level will be a requirement in our family. Yeah. Unless they were absolutely miserable for some reason, and then we'd need to talk about it. But it's both a safety thing and a social thing when you get older. Being really comfortable in the pool, I think, is important. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I've been thinking about with parenting and, and sports is how much I appreciated the way my parents were growing up. And to me, they were the ideal sports parents. In They were at everything I did, always there cheering me on, but no pressure from them. Mm-hmm. I just felt so supported by them and so loved, you know, for example, when I was doing diving. It's like diving is just something that I do. It's not who I am. And that was so clear to me from the way that my parents behaved that how well I did or how poorly I did just had no effect on who I was as a human being. Mm-hmm. I remember one instance in particular when I was diving. And if you fail a dive, that means you don't get a score because you did it so wrong that you didn't complete a certain element or so you don't get a score Mm -hmm. and that happened to me at this meet and I remember going up to my mom afterwards she said you just look so beautiful while you were in the air it's like thanks mom I got no points (laughs) (laughs) you know I thought it was absurd that my mom said that at the time because I so clearly did it horribly but she just didn't care in a great way Mm -hmm. so I really hope to be able to emulate that for my kids and just being there to support them and what they're doing, but 
that they always know that sports are just something you do. It's not who you are. It's a really nice model to emulate. We have thought some about Plum and sports. She's too little. She still can't walk. So <laughs> unless they're doing like crawling ultimate or something, we're not we're not doing sports anytime soon, probably. But we've thought about maybe trying to get her sort of exposed to soccer and ultimate. Definitely excited about swimming lessons and swim team. Mm -hmm. Swim team is something that I wish that I had done. I think I'm strong in some things swimming related, like because of synchronized swimming, I can tread water for a long time. Mm -hmm. But I think that I would have benefited from at least a year or two of swim team, sort of getting the mechanics of the strokes a little bit more in the muscle memory. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I can get by. I think that swim team would be an awesome thing, especially if we can find something that is community based sort of in the summer, like you're talking about when you want to be in the pool anyway, yeah. and then let her decide if she wants to continue with it when she you know, knows enough and is safe. Mm -hmm. I think we'd like to do that. And I mean, we would like to have her try ultimate just because it's been really special in our lives and because I like the elements of spirit of the game and warmth and support that I have found in many ultimate communities. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to encourage her to try it. But I also think that she may be a kid who's not that into sports and competing. And that's fine with us too. Right. If that's what happens. Yeah. I'm curious to see how it plays out in the coming years with our kids and what their interests are. Because as you said, they may not be sports kids at all. And it's something I really loved growing up. There is no sport where I felt like I really excelled, but I had such positive experiences overall and loved challenging myself and learning new things and mm -hmm. being part of a team. And I just really enjoyed it. And as I said, my parents were not pushing me. Everything that I participated in, with the exception of swimming lessons, mm -hmm. was 100% driven by me and my desire to do it. But it's just fun to think what will they be into in 10 years? And mm -hmm. I'm excited. To I see. love how unknown it is. Yes. Yes. We really, I mean, it could be anything yeah. at this point. And it's one of those things I've heard other parents talking that you really need to start your kid young mm -hmm. so that they can develop and be able to compete at a higher level and not even being an Olympian. But even now, like lots of kids start playing soccer when they're four and five yeah. and continue all the way through high school. But I just feel like I have no aspiration for my kids to be at the top of any game. And mm -hmm. I hope they have fun playing. And I hope that they're involved in some kind of athletic activity just because I got so much enjoyment from it. But I really resist the idea that they're somehow going to be behind if I'm not starting them in early elementary school or preschool. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Yep. Okay, let's talk about what we've been eating. I've been eating key lime pie, and this goes back to pie day, March 14th, when I was really wanting key lime pie. Key lime pie to me feels symbolic of warmer weather, mm -hmm. and it reminds me of the beach because we often eat key lime mm -hmm. pie at the beach when we're there with Andrew's family. I was going to say it makes me think of vacation. Exactly. So I was really craving it, and it was pie day, which I didn't even realize, but I went to the grocery store. And all the pies were on sale for $3.14. Amazing. So I bought a key lime pie. I was very excited about it. Got it home, started to eat it, and it was disgusting. <laughs> I didn't even finish the first piece. What do you mean by disgusting? It tasted like fake lime. Okay. And the texture was wrong. It was much more like pudding and much less like 
solid pie. Okay. So I don't know if they that was the kind of filling that they did it or they didn't bake it enough or what. Yeah. But that was not so good. So I've been in the mood for key lime pie since mid-March. Finally, I got all the ingredients together to make key lime pie. And I made it yesterday and we ate it last night and it was everything that I had dreamed of. And really, I should have just made it myself in the first place because it's so easy. Mm -hmm. Have you made it before? I never have. I'm really curious to see your recipe because I'm not a big pie maker. I'm not either, mostly because I prefer other sweet things. Yes, me too. I also think pie, if you make the crust yourself, can feel like a lot of work. Mm -hmm. But it's very easy. It's key lime juice, okay, three egg yolks, eight ounces of cream cheese, a can of sweetened condensed milk. And I think that's it. But you just blend it up. Mm -hmm. And then I bought a pre-made graham cracker crust. Mm. I think it would be tastier to make your own graham cracker crust because of the amount of butter that you can put in when you make it yourself. I love graham cracker crusts. So much better than regular pie crusts. I actually love both. So is it just, that's it? There's just one layer? Yeah. Somehow I was imagining key lime pie in two layers, like lemon meringue pie. Yeah. Sometimes I think people do put meringue on top. Okay. But how I did it was I just got heavy whipping cream and, you know, made whipped cream. So good. It was awesome. Highly recommend it as a spring dessert. <laughs> what have you been eating, Sarah? I've been eating more lentils. <laughs> so What a surprise. <laughs> on, I think it was Monday night. That was when people were doing the insulation at our house. And this isn't related to food, but one of the people accidentally stuck their foot through our ceiling <gasps> that they came off one of the rafters. So then there was a small hole, which is fine. I mean, that stuff happens. But it was in the kitchen and then somebody was coming to fix the hole. And it just felt like I couldn't really be in the kitchen working. And this is happening right around the time that we make dinner. And I thought, I'm just going to order Indian food. HP really loves it. It's going to be easy. I love Indian food. Mm -hmm. So I was going to do that. And then it actually felt more annoying to me to be on my phone trying to figure out what we were going to order mm -hmm. when my kids were needing me and there were so many people in our house still and they were asking me various questions. So then I decided to just make dinner. And at that point, though, I wanted to eat Indian food. Right. So I looked up a recipe for naan bread and made some naan bread, which I think this is the second time that I've done that. Hmm. It was really easy. It doesn't taste as good as when I buy it at the restaurant, mm -hmm. for sure. But, you know, flour and other ingredients fried in some oil because I don't have a tandoor oven. I mean, it's good. Our kids like it. We liked it. Mostly it was a vehicle for dipping the lentils. So it had lots of garlic and ginger, tomatoes, lentils, and then butter and cream that you add at the mm, end. Like that. And I added a little bit of garam masala and maybe coriander to it as well. Mm -hmm. But it was really basic. I did it in the Instant Pot. And then at the end, you add the cream and the butter. Nice. And then use your naan bread to dip in it. I was excited to find a new lentil recipe. That was different. Put it in the rotation. Yes. So I also used the immersion blender at the end. Mm. So about half of it was really smooth and thick, but then left some whole lentils in it. Nice for texture. Yes. It was delicious. That sounds great. That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Abby, and with all of you listeners. We would love to hear about your experiences with sports growing up, now, or how you plan on handling it with your kids. We would also love to hear your book or recipe recommendations, especially ones involving lentils. You can join the conversation online at FriendlierPodcast.com, on Instagram at FriendlierPodcast, or email us. 
friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. And if you like this show, would you please leave us a rating and review on iTunes? Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. Okay, I am recording now. It would be funny if we started talking and then I never turned it on. And by funny, I mean terrible. Yeah, it was like funny slash awful. (laughs) I feel like we're talking so much. Um, (laughs) Wait. You're not talking that much. No, I just mean like, I I just feel like this episode is going to get really long because I have a lot to say and I'm having trouble prioritizing. (laughs) We'd also love you. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm done. I was going to say that they could also give us lentil recommendations. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) Do you know I saw the brown lentils after we talked about them? (laughs) Nice. So for all the lentil lovers out there, we'll post a link. (laughs) Probably that's why you're listening to our podcast, because we talk about lentils just about every time. Yep.